Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back. This is episode eight of the official Your Conflict Coach podcast. And as always, my name is Hannah, and I'm your conflict coach. So this episode, like last week, released a couple days later than my episodes had been releasing. I've been releasing them Sunday nights, so they would be ready for everyone's week on Monday mornings. And last week and this week are both releasing on Wednesday. But unlike last week, this week it was on purpose. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know, I am currently in my last few weeks of my master's degree. And my degree is in conflict resolution. So this podcast and any other conflict coaching work that I'm doing right now is all on a volunteer basis. And all of those hours and all of that work is going towards my degree. And on top of that, I'm also in my final class for my degree, which is called Careers in Peacemaking. And it's basically a rundown of all of the different types of peacemaking and conflict resolution, dispute resolution type careers. And it goes over things like what their procedures look like, what their certification guidelines are, what ethical standards they're held to and who holds them to that. Other technical things like that that you may not otherwise learn without experience. And they provide this class for us right before graduation so that we can get a really good idea of which career path aligns with our personal skills and the individual value that we bring as professionals. So, you know, all of that's really cool. But anyway, this past week was our module on conflict coaching. And obviously, I've done a lot of research on conflict coaching, and I've already chosen this career path, so I know a lot about it. But I was really excited to learn really anything else, anything new, any other perspectives or new takes or new research, and kind of hear what my classmates and professors had to say about conflict coaching before I did this episode. Because I'm going to talk a lot about conflict coaching and other conflict resolution and peacemaking professions and what they entail later in this episode. So all that to say, that's why it's a couple days later. I wanted to be completely done with that unit and my assignments and our class discussions so that I could really have a chance to talk to my classmates and my professors about conflict coaching specifically, as well as the other professions that we have covered or will be covering in the class because I wanted to bring as much value as possible to this episode. So thank you again for bearing with me. So far this season, we have actually covered a lot of ground in a really short amount of time. I've tried to really stick to the main points and give you guys the tools and skills you'll need, but you guys have really been troopers. I've gotten a lot of really awesome feedback from those. You know, we've been able to talk about how uncomfortable conflict is and how we typically respond to that discomfort. Do we typically avoid? Do we typically try to compete or dominate? Are we accommodators? Are we compromisers? Or do we naturally want to collaborate? Do we naturally want to attack the issue and figure out what the problem is and solve it? 
But we also talked about how some of those reactions to conflict can be damaging and destructive. And when you are avoiding or when you are accommodating or when you are dominating, that the actions you choose or even the ones you don't choose that happen instinctively can be really destructive and damaging to our relationships. We have been able to talk about triggers and hot buttons and how those play into our conflict and how we can train ourselves to figure out what those are and maybe see them coming a little bit easier. We've even gotten to dive into the role that our identity plays in which conflicts trigger us and when those emotional reactions come out. And we've talked about how to retrain our minds to not only recognize those destructive reactions, but create constructive reactions that give us the emotional release that our body needs while still allowing us to resolve the conflict and repair our relationships or prevent damaging them in the first place. More recently, I've talked a little bit more about fault and blame and how not important they are in the big picture in a conflict. Instead, I challenged you guys to focus on responsibility. What are your responsibilities in your relationships and are those communicated? Are they understood? And do you collaborate with each other to make sure those responsibilities are being upheld? Do you hold each other accountable or is it one-sided? And I talked about how a lot of times wanting to hold someone else accountable can lead to unrealistic expectations in any type of relationship. We have to effectively communicate and work to comprehend the relationship responsibilities in order to lay a foundation for these mutually accessible expectations that we need for successful relationships and true connection. So naturally, because of how much we're covering in such a short amount of time, just, you know, 10 short episodes, most of the stuff I've talked about has been a little more broad. Stuff that I hope would apply to any conflict at any level of relationship, any type of relationship. And today, I hope that's true as well, but we are going to be specifically talking about conflicts that have seemingly reached a breaking point. The relationships are damaged and things aren't looking up. They may not be looking down, they may just be stagnant, but there's no forward progression. But if you are facing smaller, less impactful conflicts or less emotional conflicts, or even if you're not in conflict right now, just keep an open mind because highly emotional conflict can strike when you least expect it with the people you least expect to be involved. And remember, even people you know and love will hardly ever react how you want and expect them to in conflict because everyone's reality is based on their own perception their own personal experiences internal dialogue things like that and that is one of the main causes for escalated emotion in conflict simply being caught off guard by the reactions of the other people and if you've been listening to this season you've probably heard me mention at some point or another that you cannot and should not try to control how the other person or other people are handling the conflict. You can only control your actions, your reactions, your responsibilities. And that's still 1000% true, 
But remember that for these skills and tools and mindset shifts to work to their fullest potential, there has to be at least a little bit of flexibility, adaptability, give from everyone involved. And if someone that's involved in the conflict absolutely refuses to listen, be open-minded, refuses to give the benefit of the doubt, to practice understanding, to have conversations, and refuses to put effort into a resolution, then the conflict and the relationship at that point are what's called stonewalled. And I'm not sure if stonewalling is a phrase that y'all have heard before or not. I just know that it's used a lot in the conflict and communication studies, in the research and the discussions. But basically stonewalling is what happens when someone mentally checks out of a relationship, any type of relationship, but they're refusing to resolve issues, have conversations, or react and respond to other people's attempts at connection or resolution. And with stonewalling, there's no immediate step forward. You can eventually get to the forward point you want to be at, but you can't walk through a stone wall. Once that wall is built, if you want to get to the other side, you either have to break it down or try a different route. And breaking it down takes effort. A lot of times it's so much easier on paper to try a different route, but leaving that relationship or leaving that person you're in conflict with, just walking away from that may not always be an option and may not always be a viable option. So to break down that stone wall, you have to figure out stuff about the wall. What is the wall made of? How was it built? From there, you can determine where it's probably willing to be vulnerable, right? Where it's willing to give a little. Then you know where to start in the breaking down process, but it's too strong for one person to do it themselves. So everyone that's stuck at that stone wall has to put in effort in breaking it down. And not to mention, you have to break it down carefully. If you go straight for a vulnerable spot in that wall and just start swinging, and pieces of the wall start crumbling and flying off, you take the chance of hurting the people around you and yourself. You have to know which tools to use and who brings what skills to the table. And to break down that stone wall effectively with minimal damage, you have to be able to collaborate with the other people involved. If we just stand at the wall, or if we pretend it's not there and keep pretending to walk forward without actually going anywhere, eventually it's going to feel much less exhausting to actually conquer the wall and break it down than to continue pretending like the wall's not there. But some people never reach that point. And the hard truth is that at the end of the day, someone is going to have to initiate. Someone is going to have to say, hey, I think we should break down this wall. Even though it won't be easy, I think that what's on the other side of this wall is worth the effort if we do it together. 
and someone else is going to have to agree to it. And just in case it needs said, it's not that conversation that makes the biggest difference. That conversation is important and it's necessary, but it's everyone involved actually treating the relationship like breaking down the wall is the goal. That's what makes the biggest difference. But here's the thing. Approaching those conversations and consciously taking that action, having that awareness constantly, consistently, treating that relationship like it does not exist until that wall is broken down, that is so hard. It's so hard. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of vulnerability. And an uncomfortable amount of commitment that will probably feel a little misplaced if the relationship is really damaged. And that's why we're so seemingly against repairing our relationships. Whether it's the forgiveness piece that scares us away or it's the pressure that we feel to move forward without any kind of disruption to pretend like it's all good and we're over it. It's 10,000 times easier for us to accept this falsehood that there's nothing you can do about it than it is to put in the dirty work and fix the relationship. Because there's not an easy way. There's just a hard way. So what do we do then? If we're at the stone wall, are all the options just out the window? No. But don't hate me when I tell you that you might need someone's help. Emotion can completely entangle our logic, our reasoning, our processing. And emotion tends to root itself in our most fundamental pieces of reason. The things that feel so basic to us. That's where emotion creeps in and distorts our perception. And sometimes we go to our friends, we go to our parents, or even the internet to ask for clarification in times where it doesn't seem like there's a resolution in sight, we're not sure what to do. So needing help with a conflict is not only okay, it's completely normal. We do it all the time. And thankfully, the stigma around getting professional help is dissolving more and more every day. But so many people still don't understand what peacemaking and conflict resolution professionals do, what they're actually trained in, and why these types of services can be so worth the time. So I want to talk about that because no one is ever going to get more information about the reality of peacemaking professionals if no one talks about it. So let's talk about it. And obviously, yes, I'm going to talk about conflict coaching, mainly because when people see my account or when I talk to people about my career path or when they listen to my podcast, most people's first question is just what is conflict coaching? And that's a super fair question. So that's why I'm going to talk about it. 
it's super new compared to other conflict resolution and peacemaking professions. And it kind of bridges some gaps in professional help that I think are super important and really needed bridged. So I'm going to talk about some existing options that y'all have likely heard of before and then explain the role that conflict coaching plays, therefore the role that I hopefully will play in the professional conflict resolution and peacemaking arena. So when a conflict really gets, let's say, out of hand, there are a few different types of professionals that can and usually do help. You have your mental health professionals, like therapists and psychiatrists, who focus mostly on healing and emotional repair and working through traumas, things like that. And then you have what I'm calling relationship professionals, which would be counselors, marriage and family therapists. And I think these are mental health professionals, but sometimes even social workers fall under this category for me because these are people who focus on specific issues in families and relationships and help people work through those in a way that benefits the family or the relationship and work through them together. And then you have your legal professionals, like judiciaries, litigation officers, even arbitrators. And these are people who hear out these conflicts and these disputes. They take all the information that they can and that they have, and they make final decisions based on an unbiased logic. And the parties are usually required to abide by whatever that final decision is that's made by that third party. But then you have peacemaking professions, like mediators and conflict coaches, who focus on conflict resolution as well as emotion management and the development of relational skills and providing healthy conflict resolution tools that can change the way people approach conflict day to day. And Specifically with mediation, there's a lot of misconceptions because a lot of people have heard of mediation, but I think most people would assume that mediators are legal professionals. And I'm assuming this is because the court will sometimes order a mediation if they think it'll be beneficial. But in reality, mediators are actually neutral, completely unbiased third parties whose responsibility is to guide you and the other people involved in the conflict through an open conflict resolution process that's completely based on your situation, your interests, your goals, your positions. And typically a mediation is the party's chance to collaborate and find a solution that works for everyone involved with the guidance of a trained peacemaking professional. And that could be a really beneficial opportunity for so many conflicts and so many relationships, but people never even consider mediation because of the stigmas or the misconceptions or even just having no idea what to expect. And conflict coaching, like mediation, encourages people to confront their conflicts in a constructive way and challenge the ways they typically respond to conflict. But unlike mediation, 
conflict coaches work one-on-one with individuals to not only work through the resolution process, which they do, but they also break down how the conflict is affecting their lives and why and what tools and skills that person will need to turn those negative effects into growth and stronger relationships. And conflict coaching allows the participant to approach resolution at whatever pace they're most comfortable while still pushing them towards those productive mindset shifts. And personally, I want to be able to help people not only work through their conflicts that are plaguing their life, but also teach them those skills and provide them with tools that they can use to rebuild the foundation for how they approach conflict in the future and hopefully save and preserve some relationships. So let's circle back a little bit. At the beginning of this episode, I said that when you face a stonewall, when you're in a conflict and the relationship or the conflict is stonewalled, there's no moving forward. You either have to break it down or try a different route. And I've talked a lot now about how to break down that wall. And at this point, we've only got two episodes left in the season. And I hope that I have provided a ton of information, skills, and tools for conflict resolution and approaching relationships that need repair. And that's my passion. And 95% of the time, that's what I'm going to advocate for, breaking down that wall. But here's what I'll say about leaving the stone wall as it is and trying a different route instead. If the other person or people involved are refusing to help you break down that wall, leave them there to either figure it out or keep doing nothing and move forward with the people who would have helped you. And if you don't know which people in your life would help you break down that wall, or if you're consistently being stonewalled, then you're not learning enough from your conflicts. You can't control them. You can only control you. And your goal should always be to move forward. And if they can't keep up, leave them there. That's all I have for you in this episode. I truly hope you learned something today. And even if you didn't, I want to remind you that sometimes unlearning things is just as important. And that takes time. So I leave you with this. What's one thing you can start to do better today? As always, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Your Conflict Coach with two H's. You can also email me at Your Conflict Coach with two H's at gmail.com. 